And I don't see us as, as wanting to run through the bond market like an elephant, you know, doing things and, and uh, you know, snub, uh, snuffing out price signals and things like that. We just we want to be there if things, if things turn uh, bad in the economy or, you know, if things... What's up, Ansel? How's it going, man? What's up, Christian? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, getting ready for the weekend here. You guys will be listening to this next week. This is Fed Watch episode number twelve. Um, episode number eleven was actually recorded during the uh, Jerome Powell hearings uh, and testimony uh, to Congress. Which, you know, happened on June sixteenth and June seventeenth. Uh, so we are doing a follow-up where we analyze some of the questions from Congress uh, to Jerome and and just kind of break down what he's saying and how we think it affects us and Bitcoin. I'm excited to do this. This is the first time yeah. doing something like this. Yeah, we're watching this stuff, the four or five hours, so you guys don't have to, and we will comment on, we, we pulled out a bunch of the important stuff in timestamps in the show notes, so you guys can go through and watch this if you want to, but uh, yeah, we we watched it, pulled out the important nuggets for you guys. Before we get into the show, want to talk about our sponsor, BISC. Uh, if you guys haven't used BISC Network yet, it is freaking awesome. Um, effectively, is you download the BISC software, and it helps you coordinate with other Bitcoin buyers and sellers to buy Bitcoin without any sort of registration or anything like that that you have to deal with on a KYC exchange. I think that this is just an absolutely fantastic tool. Volume has continually gone up. Um, and if you're ever in a position where you're trying to buy Bitcoin, it's one of the best ways that you can continue to grow your no KYC stack. Uh, and if you're trying to sell Bitcoin, you can definitely pick up a decent premium uh, by selling on BISC. Uh, you know, they have a bunch of different payment methods. You can coordinate and then, you know, make a buyer trade with Zelle. Uh, you can use MoneyGram. You can even send cash through the mail. Personally, <laughs> that's not one of my preferences, but uh, they, they, it's one of the offerings that they have on the on the software. So check out BISC. Uh, really worthwhile. It's a lot easier than you think. So don't be intimidated. Uh, I'm not very smart, not very technical. I got up and running and have done several trades on BISC. So Highly recommend it. Let's just get into the show. We have the first clip. Who who's the senator talking here? Senator Shelby. Um, yeah, do you know where he's senator from? Uh, no, some southern state, though. You can tell by his accent. All right, we'll we'll, we'll dig up the deets on on Senator Shelby, but uh, let's get the clip started. I'd like to now shift to the balance sheet of the Fed. Uh, uh, you've been on the Fed a number of years, and you've been an uh, investor in past life and so forth. Does it bother you as the Fed chairman to see that the balance sheet has grown so fast? And uh, I know these are extraordinary times. We've got to have extraordinary measures. But uh, uh, to deleverage the balance sheet as it's growing and probably continue to grow uh, is going to be a thing for the future. But it's going to be a, a real challenge for somebody, is it not? Well, so first, I, I don't think that the balance sheet uh, at anything like its current size presents any real threat to either inflation or to financial stability. 
currently. I mean, our currently, and our, our but our, it, you know, our principle is we don't want the balance sheet to be any bigger than it than it needs to be to, for us to to you know to do our job to achieve maximum employment and price stability. So, um, but so I'm not concerned about about the balance sheet and the plans I see for it going forward at this point. Um, over time, uh, I think we what we did learn. I was here for the whole uh, the whole last uh, cycle of uh, balance sheet. Uh, uh, first, the last QE, and then the, the, the decline in the balance sheet. And I think um, it's just something that has to be taken uh, very carefully and very slowly. And it's not something we're thinking about now. We're not at all thinking about what we're thinking about now is providing the, the accommodation that this economy needs for as long as it needs it. That's all we're thinking. When the time comes, what we did from 2014, as you'll recall, from 2014, 2017, we just froze the size of the balance sheet. And as the economy grows, the, the balance sheet shrinks as a percent of the economy. So that's a very passive way that, and that didn't, that didn't uh, cause any reaction in the market. I think there have been market reactions when we try to actually shrink the size of the balance sheet. Thank you. One, okay, these are the things that I picked out from that comment is that they don't think inflation is a threat, which I agree with. And a lot of people don't agree with that, but they, they aren't seeing inflation as a threat. Um, the balance sheet will continue to grow as big as it's needed. Um, and that they have no exit strategy. They have zero exit strategy. It's like uh, they said, oh, in 2014, we froze the balance sheet and it effectively shrank because the GDP grew, but the balance sheet was frozen. But and then he admitted when they stopped, um, or when they started actually decreasing the balance sheet, that's when markets reacted. So really, that clip, that answer, kind of encompasses their thinking on the balance sheet. I thought it was really to the point. What did you think? I have to say that uh, Jerome Powell is a straight shooter for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't beat around the bush, which I actually appreciate. Um, but with that being said, yeah. They have no – He, the senator said shrinking this balance sheet in the future is going to be painful and difficult. And Jerome Powell said we're pretty much not going to shrink it. We're <laughs> ch- like the, the balance we're sheet is fine. About that. Yeah. The balance sheet is fine. We're, we can grow it to maintain the our mandate of maximum employment and price stability. I would actually yeah. kind of like to dive into that mandate in general uh, because – it seems kind of crazy. Like, why are people working so much, getting paid so little, and are so miserable in life? And over here, half of every transaction is controlled by an organization that's mandated is to make sure that you work maximally. It seems a little messed up. Like, and I don't think that people really, they really connect the dots here of how messed up this is. Yeah, and one of the big things that's missing from this mandate is growth. It's kind of something that it's underlying is, is that they want maximum GDP, you know, GDP growth, but it isn't it isn't necessarily part of the mandate. Yeah, there's there's stable prices and maximum employment, but you can get that with negative growth. I mean, you, your economy could be falling apart. Like communist and socialist economies have a hundred percent employment, but their economies are shrinking. Right. And so it's just very interesting that there is no growth mandate, which to me would say it would kind of rein in some of this stuff better than saying, oh, we're just trying to 
hit uh, employment targets? Well, employment targets are easy. You just uh, do the shovel ready programs. You do like in the great depression, you had um, the uh, Tennessee Valley authority or whatever that one was where they just were building a bunch of dams and building a bunch of roads and things. You can get a hundred percent employment pretty easily, but you can't get growth. So that's, it's yeah. just interesting. Yeah. Okay. So in this next clip, um, this is really about uh, a senator is questioning Jerome Powell about, are they messing with the price signals? This is something that we've talked about at length. So let's just get right into the clip. Um, you, you pointed out that um, markets reacted very strongly to the announcement. That's because they believe that we'll do what we say we're going to do. So one reason, I wouldn't say it's the main reason. One, one reason is, though, we feel that we need to follow through and do what we said we were going to do. So that uh, Could I, can I just, uh, on that, um, my uh, impression had always been that it was a contingent thing, that, that this would be there as needed and would be used as needed. But if it's not needed, uh, it, it's not clear to me that you have to use it anyway to show that you're willing to use it. I don't think, I don't think anybody doubts your willingness to use it. So we're, we're not actually increasing the, the dollar volume of things we're buying. We're just shifting away from ETFs toward this other form of index. And I, we, as we've said, and if you look at the FAQs, frequently asked questions we published associated with this change, it's really going to depend on the level of market function. If market function continues to approve, then we're happy to slow or even stop the purchases. Is there, and if it goes the other way, we'll, do the, we'll, we'll increase. Is there a problem with market functioning now in the corporate bond market? Market function has improved really substantially, and that's why you see very little demand. In fact, so far, no demand at the primary market facility. We originally thought that was where the demand would show up. Um, so we're just, you know, it was, it was out of an excess of caution to, to preserve these gains for market function by following through. And I don't see us as, as wanting to run through the bond market like an elephant, you know, doing things and, and uh, you know, snub, uh, snuffing out price signals and things like that. We just, we want to be there if things, if things turn uh, bad in the economy or, if, you know, if things go in a negative direction, we want to make sure that, that uh, we, um, you know, that we're there. Also, we, with, with the ETFs, remember, it's a very small part of the market. The actual bonds give us a, a better purchase should we need it. We, we clearly don't need it now. It's just interesting because it sounds like they are essentially like making room for them to take even more aggressive action, even though it doesn't appear that it's necessary right now. I do think that the concerns over price signals are legitimate, but I think it's already too late. If you're concerned about price signal manipulation, like that's been going on for years. Uh, with that being said, I also found it hilarious that he said, we're not trying to run through the, the bond market like an elephant because they are running through the bond market like an elephant. Yeah, that was the money soundbite of this whole entire thing was being an elephant snuffing out price signals. That's exactly what they're doing. And I noticed at the very beginning of that clip, he talked about the market must believe that we'll do what we say we're going to do. So they, they announced it like especially with this corporate bond buying stuff, they announced it and then the market reacted to the announcement. And now a month later, now they're actually starting to do this stuff and they have to do some follow through or else the market won't react the way they want to in the first place. So it's all about belief and confidence in the Fed. Uh, it's not about them actually doing anything. It's about people thinking that they can do stuff. So that's what I took away from that clip. 
Let's see when that belief uh, deteriorates. Uh, I, I don't think that they can maintain confidence in the Fed. I feel like the Fed is a little abstracted from normal life. People don't necessarily understand what the Fed is doing or understand that they should be suspicious of the Fed. Yeah, it's very, very fragile. The illusion is fragile. If we start, like if we go into a long depression where we have zero growth or negative growth, that the illusion of the Fed will very quickly breakdown. I don't know what that looks like, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad. We're just rolling through this. We got one more clip here. So y'all, we, we condensed these, this four hours of content <laughs> of meetings uh, into, into three really succinct clips that kind of get the point across. Um, mm-hmm. So let's just get into this. Uh, this is one of the Bitcoiners' favorite uh, representatives, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina. Was he the one who said it's either Bitcoin or shitcoin? Oh man, was he? Uh, I don't know, but he's he's done a lot of interviews over the years, being very friendly to Bitcoin, so uh, speaking out against regulation. So I like that. I, I do believe that he went on onto Noted podcast, uh, so he has cool. been on a Bitcoin podcast, and that was a very good interview. Cool. Well, he deserves this clip then. Yeah. Well, I mean, but with that being said, what he says in this clip is not exactly hardcore Austrian. Yeah, that's true, and and he does praise Powell to the hilt. Um, I noticed that with all of these people, all of them, I mean, usually you get that in the, te- in the testimony with the Fed chairman. They always say, thank you for being here, Mr. Chairman, and then yada, yada, yada. But this was like, thank you for saving us. It was, you did everything you could. You pulled out your big guns and saved the economy in this crisis of coronavirus. And, you know, it was just laying it on thick. And it was so much that, like, it was almost exact for every single person. And so I was like, Man, maybe they were told to say this exact opening at all of their comments, but it was kind of sickening. And Patrick McHenry did it as well. So take that for what it's worth. Let's just get into this clip. Okay, so that's an unconventional set of monetary policy that you're 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 u- utilizing, given the unconventional nature of this health and therefore economic challenge crisis that we're facing. Uh, we also see uh, other banks, uh, Japan and Europe. Uh, trying to control inflation targets um, uh, using unconventional means, such as yield yield curve control and negative rates. Uh, Do we have empirical evidence to support deploying these tools in the United States as you see it? There's a a split. Um, I'd say the evidence is mixed on negative rates. There are those who believe negative rates are quite effective, and there are those who see the the, uh, the results as somewhat ambiguous. I think here in the United States, we've looked at it carefully. We looked at it uh, during the, uh, uh, you know, the, the long expansion that ended in February and chose not to deploy them in the United States. <clears throat> Lately, the FOMC has looked carefully at negative rates and continues to, <clears throat> to see pretty broadly across the committee <clears throat> that negative rates are not something that we think is appropriate for the, for the U.S. economy, uh, at, at least at this time. And, and it's not something that we see ourselves resorting to. Instead, we look at ourselves using asset purchases and forward guidance. In terms of yield curve control, <clears throat> as you pointed out, it was, it's currently being used by a couple of central banks around the world. And that's just, rather than buying assets, what you're doing is you're saying, we won't let uh, the treasury curve at a certain level move above something. And if it starts to move above that level, the rate moves above it, then we'll buy treasuries to drive the rate level back down. Um, the United States actually did that from the late 40s into the early 50s. I'll, <laughs> I'll just finish, sorry. Um, but um, 
uh, it's, it's something we're really just educating ourselves on at this point. It's not something we have uh, at all decided to do. Uh, thank you for your testimony. And Chair Powell, I also appreciate the fact that you said when the crisis passes, we will put them away, these new tools. I think that is a very sober assessment. We need to have a return to normalcy once this crisis passed. Thank you for your leadership, and I yield back. Thank you, Chairwoman Waters. This was probably the most difficult answer to actually like understand for me. Um, can you break down, you know, essentially what uh, Powell is saying? McHenry brought up the unconventional, quote unquote, unconventional. Now it's pretty much conventional around the world: yield curve control and negative rates. Powell went through a couple minutes there of explaining why they didn't think negative rates were good uh, and why they might resort to yield curve control, but not at this time. Um, What I pulled out of this was two things. First, they said that they chose not to do negative rates, but it's, I think the jury's still out on whether they can actually push rates negative. Like if you look at the um, yield curve or you look at rates and then you look at the Fed funds rate. So the, the rate, interest rates drop and then Fed funds rate drops or interest rates go up and then Fed funds rate go up later. So they, they aren't really controlling. They are, they are the laggards. They are following what the market is doing. And if the market isn't taking rates negative, the Fed funds rate going negative would just explode the illusion sooner. I think. So that's one reason why they didn't choose to do it, to go negative, because that would expose their lack of ability to, to actually do it. And the second thing was the, at the very end there, he said that they're educating themselves. They're still educating themselves on this stuff. So they don't know. They have no clue what they're doing. And this goes into what Jeff Schneider says about the Euro dollar stuff is nobody understands what money is. Nobody knows what all of these fed policies, central bank policies around the world, what they're actually doing. And Powell admits it by saying that they're still educating themselves. It's kind of interesting to see the dollar system as being much more global than other fiat systems. Like Japan is in the Japanese bubble. Europe is kind of in the European bubble. All these other small countries, like when they make policy, it's for their uh, constituents and it's for their citizens and it's for the users of their currency. The dollar is way beyond that. And and Jeff Schneider talks about this. You talk about this. Uh, the Fed is not in control of the dollar. There's tons of dollar denominated debt and euro bonds and other exotic dollar based instruments out there that are completely outside of the Fed's control. So it makes sense that they can't go negative. I'd actually want to turn it towards the asset purchases. Like, what do you think about this idea of maintaining the yield curve and and just doing more and more exotic asset purchases? Because it's not like they're, it's not like the Fed isn't practicing exotic measures here. They are. It's just not negative interest rates. Right. Well, um, I think you're alluding to the repo market and the collateral within the repo market. So uh, the repo market is a, a very short term money market or lending market out there, uh, global. It's there. It has centers like in London and New York, but uh, it is a global money market. And in there, you take treasuries and you that, that's your collateral for a loan, right? Overnight loan or maybe up to, I think there's some up to like three months. Um, but if you're taking that collateral out of the system, 
by buying it. So the Fed is taking all those treasuries out of the repo market by buying them. Then you are uh, kind of drying up the liquidity within the repo market. And this is the global plumbing of the world financial system. And by taking those assets out of there and putting them on the Fed's balance sheet, you're actually slowing down the velocity of the economy. So um, it's, it's very bad to do what they're doing. And uh, they can see that they can't get growth. No matter how many freaking treasuries they buy, it, their inflation doesn't go up, growth doesn't go up. Um, it's just grinding down. So should, be, should Jerome Powell be concerned about deflation? He said he wasn't concerned about inflation at the beginning of this episode in one of the first clips we played. Like, should deflation be on his on his list of things to watch out for? Um, well, deflation is what they're fighting. I don't think that they can. They're trying their best to hit that 2% target for inflation, and they just can't get there. So um, – I don't know if they should be worried about it or they, I mean, it's the inevitable conclusion, right? It's they're trying to avoid the light, like the deflationary, deflationary collapse is the light, you know, uh, heaven when you die and, and you go to into the light, they're trying not to go into the light of deflation by printing a bunch of money, um, but it's not going to work. Their time is over. They're a dinosaur. They're dead. They need to go into the light and just suffer this deflationary collapse. <laughs> Um, I mean, enter Bitcoin, right? <laughs> yeah, enter Bitcoin. Maybe Bitcoin um, is the light. <laughs> I think so. I think Bitcoin's the Grim Reaper for for the Fed uh, dinosaur. Yeah, there you go. We're working that analogy together. Yeah. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, th- I think that this was this was fun. Uh, just chopping through these different clips here. I hope you guys like this. Uh, let us know if this was helpful. Uh, I have a bad feeling that more of these, I know this was uh, something that's uh, semi-annual and schedule, but I have a bad mm-hmm. feeling like more of these are going to, more of these meetings are going to be popping up uh, throughout this year and next year um, as this crisis continues to unfold. Uh, so when they do, we'll be sure to cover them. So let us know if you found this valuable, please make sure to subscribe to the show at Bitcoin magazine podcast, leave us a review share this on Twitter. All of that stuff really, really helps. Uh, we, we want to grow this show. We want to continue to educate Bitcoiners about what the Fed is doing and most importantly, what that means for Bitcoin. Absolutely. It was a great episode. And uh, let us know if you want us to do more of this, not just the testimonies, but maybe the uh, press conferences and things like that. Um, I usually watch them. So uh, get, breaking down the timestamps would, would be interesting. Cool. Ansel, where can people find you? Yeah, bitcoinandmarkets.com. I have, of course, my other podcast is Bitcoin and Markets. Um, Also have put out my new book, The Bitcoin Dictionary, uh, for pre-sale. So you can find that at bitcoindictionary.cc. Yeah, awesome. I'm definitely ordering it. Uh, Big fan of all of your work. A big fan of Bitcoin and Markets. Uh, You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. And of course, uh, doing a bunch of stuff on Bitcoin Magazine. Thanks for listening, everyone. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. 
You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.